Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge. And I'm Karen Delaney. Look at this fancy podcaster setup. Look at this. Look. JJ has, I'm the only one who can see this. JJ now has one of those mic, like boom stands. Boom stands, yes. That holds the mic out over your desk and you have the little filter thing in front of it. This is professional. I was like, you know, it's been a year. Um, Maybe I will upgrade the setup. Um, So I did. I bought a whole round of stuff. And then I realized the whole round of stuff I bought was all incompatible with the microphones we bought. (laughs) So then I returned the whole round of stuff. Um, And this is all over the course of like this week using like the same day Amazon deliveries. Of course. Um, So I did all that. And then like literally 45 minutes ago, the last of this got arrived from Amazon. So I threw it all together real quick. Um, And I'm really excited because like the microphone stand on my desk was so low judged by like how I sat in front of it. So Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see how this sounds compared to it. Um, And also it's just much easier having it like hanging here. So if you're in the mood to spend money, KP, I highly recommend (laughs) it. (laughs) Well, I was thinking I would love to get one of those, but I think the problem is, I have an extremely cute little desk from West Elm. <laughs> it's like a mid-century modern style mm-hmm. desk, but I think it's probably too thick to like clamp yeah. anything to. Oh, so, I couldn't get the clamp one. I have one that just sits on your desk. Um, oh. Yeah. Okay. Because my desk is also like, they were like, oh, it can clamp up to you know, like 60 millimeters wide. And I was like, well, I don't know what that is. What's that in inches? Yeah. So I converted that and my desk is like six inches thick. And I was okay. like, oh, that is that is way more than 60 millimeters, yeah. actually. So okay. um, so yeah, so this is just a desk stand one. So here, here I am solving problems for you. I love that. I love that. Yes. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to try this out. <laughs> so it was fun. How are you doing? You know, this week's just been crazy. I can't believe it's Friday already. I just had the deeply uncomfortable experience of watching <laughs> our ethics CLE pre- uh, presentation at the Texas Bar's annual business disputes course. Mm-hmm. They went virtual and we pre-recorded our presentation via Zoom. And so we just watched it. And that is a real trip to have to watch it's, yourself. It was deeply it, uncomfortable, but I'm glad I did. I sucked it up and I did it. I I did parts of it. Like I had it playing the whole time. I could hear us. I could only, honestly, whenever you were talking was when I turned it on to watch it because I literally could not (laughs) watch myself. And like I told you before we even started the podcast, like I cannot listen to myself. I, and I got over that. Like I got over that for the podcast. Mm -hmm. I still hate it, but I'll do it. Um, but I could not watch myself. And so when you were like, oh, your eye makeup looks on point, I was like, I guess we'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) It did though. Your eye makeup was fantastic. And that's what really counts when you're delivering professional (laughs) CLEs to your peers is making sure that your eye makeup looks good. So we checked the box on that at least. Exactly. (laughs) But yeah, we did do that. That was deeply uncomfortable, but fun. And it's been fun to kind of watch. I know you and I have both been watching the webinar the past two days as well um, and watching all of that. I was disappointed not to go down there because there's so many people that we know that are presenting. Mm -hmm. And so it would have been fun to hobnob with people, but between kids and work and everything else, it's, Mm -hmm. it just really wasn't feasible to dip down to Austin to record a 45 minute presentation. So we did it remotely and I'm glad we did. And then other than that, it has just been busy. We had 
Breaking news this morning, police have arrested somebody in Tupac's murder. Did you see that? (laughs) I saw that. Uh, I literally just saw a tweet that was like, what did Dianne Feinstein say on her deathbed that led to this? (laughs) I saw that and I literally gasped because as an elderly millennial, I was in high school when this happened, when Tupac was murdered. And then a year after Biggie Smalls was Mm -hmm. murdered in retribution. And this was such a big deal and all over the news. And there have been conspiracy theories for years about who murdered Tupac. And so it was just like, like, I saw that come across my feed. And I was like, wow, that was, uh, that was unexpected. (laughs) That was not what I expected to see in the news today. So that was crazy. It's crazy. It's going to be even more crazy when obviously he's not guilty because Tupac is not dead. So that's going to be the complicating factor. Yeah, Tupac is alive and well somewhere, according to a number of conspiracy theories. So yes, this man is innocent, obviously. Obviously. (laughs) It's conspiracy. The other thing I wanted to mention before we get too deep into this episode is we whiffed big time in our Rona Spa Mm -hmm. episode where we talked about the end of the Ken Paxton impeachment, air quotes, trial. Because we mentioned that there was this female attorney for the house managers who was really, really good. And we're like, I don't know. I can't remember her name. But we're like talking about all these men who are doing a terrible Mm -hmm. job. And we totally should have stopped and looked up her name because she certainly deserves as much, if not more uh, recognition Mm -hmm. than these guys who did just like an absolutely terrible job. So her name is Erin Epley. She has her own practice here in Texas. And that is, I think, a really good reminder for us too, just to like stop and slow down and actually yeah. get that right. You know? Yeah, I, I agree completely. Our bad. Now that we Our got bad. that out of the way, exactly. what are we doing first? Um, I will go first. Let's talk about the Trump order that just came down out of New York. Um, and I, we haven't really dived into a lot of Trump legal issues, I think in part by design and in part just because there are so many and they're all so intertangled that it's extremely difficult to kind of parcel them off and talk about them. And also like, it's just, there's just so much. There's so much. And I'll be honest, after going through four years of the Trump administration, which was just a completely insane roller coaster of absolute awfulness and just really terrible gut-wrenching stuff. And the last few years as well with like the pandemic, I'm somewhat careful sometimes about my media diet. I want to be informed about the world and I want to know about things that are going on. But there are other things like this where I'm kind of interested. Yeah, but my focus is just elsewhere these days because it's like, I don't know, there's a lot of this going on. Kind of skeptical that he will ever be held truly accountable for Mm -hmm. any of the awful things he did, much less you know, uh, fraud, like business fraud, or um, trying to, I don't know, overthrow our government and install himself as a dictator. But so I think I read a little bit about this. But you know, there are other news stories where I immediately will dig into a complaint because I need to know all the details. And I've kind (laughs) of just sputtered out of energy on this one. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping you can re-energize me a bit because this does sound really delightful and like this may be, because it is more of a business angle, yes. maybe one of the best routes to hold him accountable versus, you know, federal investigations that if any Republican is elected in 2024 are going away immediately. Like, mm-hmm. Day yeah, of the inauguration, yeah. those are done. Mm-hmm. And if he's ever convicted, he'll be pardoned for those. So um, I am very curious. 
Yeah, uh, that's kind of why I found this one interesting. And because this one, as we'll kind of discuss, is like this part of it is purely a documents case. So, you know, there was some deposition testimony, but like 99% of this was relied on documents that the Trump organization itself had submitted. Um, so it was kind of, that's why it was interesting to me. So what we're talking about is the case in New York where Letitia James sued Trump claiming that he commit fraud when he stated the value of property that the Trump organization and other entities owned under the statutorily required statements of financial condition. Basically they had to file these annually on the financial condition of all of these entities. And part of that is stating the approximate value of real property owned and various other assets, all the kinds of things that you do when you have an org that's, um, audited, you have all of this information. There's a pretty tortured procedural history here, but the judge has already denied Trump's motion to dismiss this case, and they had moved to dismiss on various grounds, but the main one being that the AG did not have authority to enforce the laws they were applying to the Trump entities. They were basically arguing that the AG lacked standing and capacity to sue to enforce these laws against Trump. Trump's lawyers um, filed those same arguments again after they'd been denied by the trial judge, and then the appellate court affirmed the denial. They filed those same arguments in a motion for summary judgment, again, basically just word for word. And suffice it to say, the judge was not happy to have to decide those issues again. So I have a few little snippets for you to read of the opinion, KP. Oh, fun. Disgorgement of Profits In flagrant disregard of prior orders of this court and the first department, which is the appellate court, defendants repeat the untenable notion that disgorgement is unavailable as a matter of law. This is patently false as defendants are or certainly should be aware that the appellate division made it very clear in this very case that we have already held that the failure to allege losses does not require dismissal of a case for disgorgement under this executive law. So this is the first time that the judge is kind of touching on these are arguments you've already made. We've already tossed them out. Like we, he's quoting the appellate court in this case that they've already tossed this out. And also that disgorgement of profits, basically paying back a ton of profits that you've made is the remedy for violation of these laws that the AG is alleging. Um, the court also took great pains to go through the citations made by Trump's lawyers. So you can go to that next section, KP, where he talks about the case law that they relied on. Defendants nonetheless rely on the trial court decision, People versus Direct Revenue, for the proposition that this law does not authorize the general disgorgement of profits received from sources other than the public. However, defendants neglect to mention that that case was superseded and essentially overruled in 2016 by the New York Court of Appeals in People versus Greenberg, which unequivocally held that disgorgement is an available remedy under the act and the law. So again, they're just raising these issues that had literally been superseded in 2016. Um, it's it's painful. It gets even more painful as we keep going. Oh, cool. Um, make is, me read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're going to make KP read it. <laughs> this is where the judge is starting to get pissed. I take back everything I said about you being a good friend in the last episode. <laughs> 
In response to both the Office of Attorney General's request for a preliminary injunction and to defendants' motions to dismiss, this court rejected every one of the aforementioned arguments. In rejecting such arguments for the second time, this court cautioned that sophisticated counsel should have known better. However, the court declined to impose sanctions, believing it had made its point. Apparently, the point was not received. One would not know from reading defendants' papers that this court has already twice ruled against these arguments, called them frivolous, and twice been affirmed by the first department, which is the appellate court. Somebody is pissed. It's so pissed. So he goes on um, and keeps talking about defendants and says, their conduct in reiterating these frivolous arguments is egregious. We are way beyond the point of sophisticated counsel should have known better. We are at the point of intentional and blatant disregard of controlling authority and law of the case. This court emphatically rejected those arguments, as did the appellate court. Defendants' repetition of them here is indefensible. And they he then goes on and points out that the defendants are, quote, no strangers to sanctions and notes that Trump has been sanctioned by this court previously for his failure to appear for depositions. Remember, he was sanctioned, I think, like $11,000 a day and basically goes through all the prior times that they have been sanctioned. Mm -hmm. So he ultimately fines each of Trump's lawyers who appear on the signature block $7,500 that they have to pay to the Lawyers Fund for Client Protection for the state of New York and goes through and lists every single counsel that's on the signature block saying that they each have to pay that amount to the court for their frivolous arguments. He also goes off and talks about more of their arguments. And this is the last little snippet I'm going to send you, KP, but this is where you can really tell that the judge is getting pissed. Ooh, we're using the word obstreperous. That's how you know. (laughs) Obstreperous. Oh, it's one of my favorite words. And now that I don't do litigation anymore, I never get to use it, you know, like... You're not going to put that into an email to about yeah, exactly. somebody's red lines on a contract, you know? Your obstreperous revisions to the contract. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Exacerbating defendants' obstreperous conduct is their continued reliance on bogus arguments in papers and oral argument. In defendants' world, rent-regulated apartments are worth the same as unregulated apartments. Restricted land is worth the same as unrestricted land. Restrictions can evaporate into thin air. A disclaimer by one party casting responsibility on another party exonerates the other party's lies. The Attorney General of the State of New York does not have capacity to sue or standing to sue, never mind all those cases where the Attorney General has sued successfully, under a statute expressly designed to provide that right. All illegal acts are untimely if they stem from one untimely act, and square footage is subjective. This is a fantasy world, not the real world. So this is a pissed off judge when he's looking at this, I think we can pretty plainly say, and he's pretty sick of the conduct of Trump's lawyers at this point, which I didn't recognize any of the lawyers' names on the signature block. So apparently he's just, and every single one of them I think was a solo. So I think he's just like (laughs) working his way through all the weird ass solos that will still deign to represent Trump and know that that they're not going to get paid by him for sure. Well, I was going to say, that's that's the thing is that like, he's notorious for stiffing contractors. So why do you think he's going to pay your legal bills? Maybe I'm the one that's different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, straight to Lulu. 
We then get to the merits of the Attorney General's motion for summary judgment against Trump. And they basically moved for summary judgment based on the documents in the case that Trump organization commit fraud by falsely stating the value of the properties in those statements of financial condition. They call them SFCs. As the judge notes, the attorney general only needed to prove that the statements of financial condition were false and misleading and that the defendants repeatedly used those to transact business. So they didn't need to prove that they were materially false. They didn't need to prove that there was some kind of loss on the part of a third party or anything like that. Under the law, they just had to prove they were false and they were used to transact business. Trump's defense in all of this um, is basically that he, the value of property is subjective, is basically what his defense in all of this. And the judge goes through Trump's deposition testimony and the documents themselves, and it's a step-by-step takedown of how at each SFC was false, and not by a little bit false, like objectively wild-ass false. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump says, if the value of a property that I said in 2014 was a certain amount that was inflated from the actual value... It may be worth that now in 2023, so it wasn't false at the time when I said it in 2014, because now it is worth that much. And that is his, one of his big works. differences. That's not how it works at all when you have to state the value of things in a filing with the state. I will also say the inflation of the value here was so insane. It's because I've read a little bit about this, but mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. The Washington Post made a tool where you can input the value of your own house and it'll Mm -hmm. tell you what it would be valued at based on the various calculations that were used for like some property in New York or like Mar-a-Lago. And so I went in and I put in a very conservative value for the estimate of our house Mm -hmm. and using Mar-a-Lago math. Turns out I'm sitting on like 23 mil here. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. But I, I saw that and I was like, God, I, I mean, I really just didn't realize how inflated these numbers mm-hmm. were. It's wild ass inflated. And one other thing that I think people aren't talking about a lot or enough is in his defense, Trump says that the numbers cannot be false or inflated because, quote, he could find a buyer from Saudi Arabia to pay any price that he suggests for any of his properties. Okay, (laughs) that's extremely disturbing because (laughs) basically it just confirms what we all suspected, which is he's probably been taking money and laundering it through property sales because Mm -hmm. this has come up before related to I think it was two condos that maybe Don Jr. sold or he sold, but the amount that they apparently sold for was completely untethered Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. their actual valuation by the local taxing authority. And it's just like a funnel to be able to rake in money from foreign influences that want to be able to uh, influence our government. So that is... A little terrifying that we're just like putting that out there. <laughs> Two thoughts on that. One, he's just taking Ken Paxton lessons. I don't know what's wrong <laughs> with that. Why, why is it okay for Ken Paxton to do it, but not Trump, KP? Actually, you're right. Like, yeah. Kenny P was totally vindicated, so this is fine. Exactly. And two, the judge drops a footnote when he notes that this was Trump's defense. And the footnote says, one could argue that this is not savvy investing, but more likely just currying political favor. Yeah. So, I mean, the judge flatly calls him on it. Yeah, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. 
for each property, the judge notes, you know, how much the value was wildly inflated. So we'll go through a few of them that were some of my favorites. For Trump Tower, his apartment in Trump Tower, uh, Trump had always submit SFCs that said his apartment in Trump Tower was 30,000 square feet and that he had this 30,000 square foot penthouse apartment in these apartment buildings. It was actually 10,000 square feet. It wasn't mm-hmm. 30,000 square feet. And even years, like Forbes magazine was doing a story on it and they called Trump organization to fact check this 30,000, 10,000 foot claim. And they were like, listen, everything that we're turning up in fact checking says it's 10,000 feet. And the Trump organization got that information and escalated it up to the GC. And they were like, what do we do about this? And the GC was like, eh, just keep stating it as 30,000 in the SFCs. Well, yeah, because they never expected to get burned by it. And Mm -hmm. this is also the problem with billionaires. And I'll tie this to some of the stuff we see with Elon Musk as well, is that these people have so much money that they are effectively insulated from any... Well, I mean, most consequences for their actions because fines, like the the sorts of fines that they might be subject to are basically pennies and meaningless mm-hmm. to them. Mm-hmm. And they can drag out litigation for years and years and years and years. So, I mean, yeah, who cares? Just put it as 30,000 square feet. Like who's going to come? Who's going to stop us? What are they going to do about it? It's wild. Um, As of 2012, that's when the first problematic SFCs were filed. No apartment in New York City has had ever sold as high as Trump valued his Trump Tower apartment. The highest apartment sale overall at that time was $88 million. And Trump valued his apartment at $180 million in 2012. And in 2016, he valued it at $327 million. Like, it's It's just... just It's It's all funny money. Yeah, I literally was about to say it's all funny money. Like to them, like a billion here, a billion there. You start talking about real money eventually, but it's just a rounding error. Just fake. Yes. For his property in Westchester County, New York, Trump stated in his SFCs that it was worth two hundred and ninety-one million. But in the same years that he provided that valuation to the state, he had independent professional valuations done for various real estate reasons that placed the value at 30 million, three mm-hmm. separate times. So I, you were looking at 30 million to basically 300 million again. <laughs> oh, I should go back to Trump Tower. My favorite my favorite response to that from Trump was, well, square footage is subjective in measuring. You can never come out with like an exact measurement of square footage. So mm. how can you prove that it's wrong? Mm. Yeah. And the judge the was like- is only like you can walk yeah. around the building. It's only <laughs> so big. This is not some uh, like mystery of modern science. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The judge was like, listen, sure. If there's like a curved room or like a wall is a circle, you know, maybe you're off by 5% or something on your square footage estimates. He's like, but not 300%. Like there's no, there's no rounding error at 300%. The one that was my favorite was the Mar-a-Lago that you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. That one was swirling on social media too, in part because the Trump's sons, I think, had tweeted about it. Um, The judge notes that Trump valued Mar-a-Lago from 2011 to 2021 between $426 million and $612 million. And the judge goes through and basically 
the reason Mar-a-Lago exists is because Trump executed a conservation deed with the city saying that this land will forevermore only be used as a club, essentially. Like, we won't develop it. It's always Mm -hmm. going to be used as this club. And the reason he did that is because it kept his property taxes down substantially Mm -hmm. more than it had been if it were some other form. The Palm Beach County appraiser valued the market value of Mar-a-Lago with all those deed restrictions at 18 million to at max 27 million. Mm -hmm. So again, you have the difference of 27 million in 2021 and Trump stated the value of 612 million. And I think it's like 2,400% more -hmm. than what the actual value is. So again, that's how your house is worth so much, KP. Congrats. <laughs> I'm going to get myself to a bank. I don't know why I'm living in Dallas like yes. this when I could be awash in money using my <laughs> $22 million house as collateral. The judge goes through all of these property properties in exhausting detail. And then after doing so holds that the attorney general demonstrated liability on behalf of all of the individual named defendants, which were Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and the GC of Trump Org at the time, Alan Weisselberg, because they all at one point had signed the SFCs that were submitted on behalf of Donald J. Trump to the state of New York. Mm -hmm. The judge also holds that they established liability on behalf of the entities, including Trump Org, the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust, and all the other entities that are owned by Trump Org and all of those entities as well. And then finally, because of the persistent fraud proven by the OAG's office, the judge grants injunctive relief, quote, enjoining the continuance of business activity and canceling the certificate filed under New York law under which those organizations were formed. And this is the really big one, because he basically revoked the charters and required ordered the dissolution of these entities. This this is what I was thinking of when I said that this looks like an avenue under which mm-hmm. these people and these organizations might finally be held accountable even a little bit because without your business certificate, you are not a going concern. You are exactly. not a, a uh, you're not a business. You're not yeah. a business. And that has so many implications. And I'm not licensed in New York. I'm not familiar with New York law, but I am kind of familiar with what that would mean <laughs> generally, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I'm sure you're going to get into it. That's bad. How many vendor contracts or other contracts have you reviewed where one of the reps and warrants is so-and-so is a duly organized company, you know, operating under the laws and blah, 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 you know, contains a business charter. I think every vendor contract has some sort of rep and warrant for that. Well, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of implications like, Mm -hmm. so there's that. So there are the representations and warranties that you make in various agreements with Mm -hmm. third parties about how you are a going concern and in good standing. And that would also include with your lenders and there might be remedies with your lenders. A lot of times if you violate a mortgage agreement or any other sort of loan agreement or like a credit facility, the lender can automatically accelerate the debt Mm -hmm. that's due and Mm -hmm. call it. And then the problem is if you no longer have a going concern, if you are a director or officer of that organization, you no longer have the protection of the corporate shield for your actions. And you may find yourself directly liable for the debts of 
the organization or the or the actions that the organization takes. Like there is no organization anymore. There is it's no just, organization. Yep. Yeah, it's just the people behind it. And so if you're looking to hold somebody liable for breach of contract, for fraud, mm-hmm. there's no longer a corporate entity to look to you're going to be looking to these individuals. So that's real bad if you're any of these people. <laughs> it is. And I mean, somebody I hadn't even, because we, you know, we had kind of, I think a bunch of us had kind of chatted about it on Twitter, you know, because this was, it's essentially, it's called an automatic default in most mm-hmm. lender contracts, just like you said. So a lender could call in the loan. They could demand collateral if you have some sort of form of collateral um, behind the loan. And also, your DNO insurance policy that's covering your individuals, directors, and officers won't apply because there's been a finding of fraud. So that's not going to apply either. So you can't even look to an insurance policy to indemnify yourself when mm-hmm. someone is looking to call in these debts. So it's it's going to be very big. Um, there is a trial next week on the remaining counts on this um, in New York. And the judge also appointed told the parties to talk about finding someone to appoint to be an independent monitor to oversee the dissolution of the LLCs. Uh, Again, that includes the Trump organization and the Donald J. Trump revocable trust. So, I mean, this is basically everything Trump owns is included in these entities at this point. Um, And so there'll be a a trial on the remaining causes of action and then also on the amount of profits to be disgorged by by the defendants based on this judgment that the judge made. So they'll be finding how much do the individual defendants owe as a result of all of this perpetuated fraud on the state of New York. Yeah, this fucking rules. It is. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's pretty awesome, honestly. We'll, because we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Because again, like the problem with billionaires, assuming he has that much money, right? Yeah. I mean, I was about to say, I say billionaire in scare quotes for Donald Trump. Well, yeah, Trump. I mean, that's the yeah. thing is that like, mm-hmm. we've never really known how much he's really worth and everybody's always suspected that it's significantly less than what he claims. And we have heard things about how like he's been using PACs to generate mm-hmm. money for legal bills, but those PACs haven't been paying certain legal bills, yeah, exactly. which kind of suggests that maybe they can't or that they're running out of money. I assume we're going to see some sort of appeal and like a request of to course. stay to stay this order and any judgment pending the outcome of the appeal. And who knows, maybe they file for bankruptcy or something, but I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty pleased overall. This rules. We'll see what happens. It, it just It's yes. like there's so many potential downstream effects. It's kind of hard to really wrap your mind around what this means for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to the lenders whose legal departments are probably being- frantically working like what the fuck do we do with this? Like do we go for <laughs> do we go for clothes on Trump Tower in Chicago? Yeah. Like do we even want this like this yes. stupid building? Like <laughs> they're like showing up at Trump National Golf Course in LA and they're like this is ours now. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, like cuz then you've got to find a buyer for it or like attempt to operate it. Like that sucks too. That's not a yeah. great remedy. <laughs> yeah, like lenders don't want the property, y'all. Like, right, they no. really they really don't want the property. They just yeah. want their money. You want to get paid. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Ah, I love it. We'll we'll see what <laughs> happens there. Very interesting. I for my little hot topic today, this happened probably two or three weeks ago at this point, but we just haven't gotten right. to it mm-hmm. yet. But going back to our roots and being Sam Bankman Fried haters, <laughs> this kind of brought me a little bit of delight, but I think more than anything else, I was just really kind of disgusted by the whole thing. Mm-hmm. FTX has sued Sam Bankman-Fried's parents. 
And the, the FTX entity now is being operated essentially by their replacement CEO, John Ray, who we've talked about before. This was a 63-page complaint filed in the bankruptcy court in Delaware. I mean, these are all allegations, but they seem for the most part like easily provable or disprovable Mm -hmm. allegations, which leads me to conclude that they more likely than not are correct. Now, whether that actually leads to legal liability, like we'll see, but you know, I'm, I'm uh, inclined to, to like believe the factual allegations here. And essentially what FTX alleges is that SBF fraudulently transferred or otherwise misappropriated millions and millions of dollars that ended up in his mom and dad's pockets. Mm -hmm. And as a reminder, until recently, both his parents were law professors at Stanford University. His dad specializes in tax law, which is pretty funny given that a lot of what they did (laughs) apparently related to tax evasion. And mom is considered an expert in legal ethics. (laughs) And she apparently is still on the board of advisors for Stanford's legal ethics, legal ethics center. I believe dad has since resigned from Stanford. Mom resigned shortly after all of this became public. She was like, oh, mm-hmm. no, I was going to retire anyway. But so I'm just going to yeah. go ahead and resign now. Now, related to SBF's dad, FTX says that he was initially retained as pro bono counsel to advise FTX and their affiliates on general corporate and tax matters, which without intending to insult our law professor friends, of which we have many, if I were looking to get advice on general corporate and tax matters, an academic is not where I'm going. I'm going Mm -hmm. to a practitioner at a law firm who practices this day in and day out. Who literally sees it all day, every day. Right. Because professors teach and they write articles and they write Mm -hmm. books, right? But that is different than actually having to advise clients on a day-to-day matter. So FTX describes dad as essentially positioning himself as the proverbial adult in the room. And he really was because- Because they're all fucking kids. <laughs> they were. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, they are adults and they yes. need to be held responsible for their- No, actions, no, no. I mean, emotionally but, stunted adults. Right, right. Yeah, emotionally exactly. stunted people. But they are factually- very young adults who had no experience in managing the day-to-day operations Mm -hmm. of any enterprise, much less a multi-billion dollar sprawling complex enterprise like FTX in potentially a highly regulated area. I mean, we've talked about cryptocurrency as the Wild West, but you've also got this question about whether they were dealing in money lending or money Mm -hmm. transfer operations, which is highly regulated, and also whether they were dealing in securities, which is highly regulated. So FTX alleges that dad got millions of dollars. He was flying all over the place in the FTX PJ. He was expensing hotel rooms that were $1,200 a night to FTX. He even managed to insert himself into a Super Bowl ad with Larry David. I didn't know that. I didn't realize. Was he in the ad Mm -hmm. with Larry David? I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's an email where I forget who it is he kind of insults, but there's, I think, like some sports star or something where he's like, oh, I don't care about like that. But Larry David. (laughs) I would be very interested in. FTX also alleges that dad used his insider status to funnel millions of dollars to chosen causes, including $5.5 million to Stanford University. And basically, Mm -hmm. the idea there is that like he's using FTX's money to curry favor with his employer. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. don't don't 
get rid of me or don't push me too hard on stuff because there's I'm a faucet. Yeah. yeah, there's a faucet here that can be mm-hmm. turned off or it can be left on. He, FTX alleges he gave a former Stanford law student who later became outside counsel to FTX a free trip to France <laughs> for, do you know why? Did you hear about no, this? I didn't read about this one. To see the F1 Grand Prix. <laughs> okay. So he paid for this person's airfare and F1 tickets, which are so expensive. We would, side note, um, when they announced the Las Vegas F1 race, I told my husband, like, we're going. Like, I'm a fan. It's right there. We love Vegas. Like, we're going. And then we looked at prices and I was like, we are so not going. Because one, it was wildly expensive. But two, like, if you book a hotel room there that weekend, they require you, require you to buy tickets for all three days of the oh race my God. as well. So, I mean, you can only imagine how expensive that is. So I know firsthand how expensive it could possibly be to go. Well, we, yeah. We had a similar experience where we were just like, oh, you know, F1 comes to Austin. We could drive mm-hmm. down. That'd be fun. And we took the most cursory look at ticket prices. We were like, or not. We'll just do yeah, it. I was like, you know, it'd be great watching it on TV where I can see the whole thing as opposed yeah. to like 20 cars going pew, 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 pew right. by me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's crazy. And then, so FTX also says, because of his inside position, dad knew about and facilitated millions of dollars in loans to SBF and other insiders. And in one example, he's involved in a decision to loan co-founder Nishad Singh, who's since pled guilty to a whole bunch of stuff, Mm -hmm. almost $500 million so that Singh could buy stock. And I think Alameda. Mm -hmm. And although Singh signed a promissory note, promising to repay that $500 million loan, there was no collateral. Yes, I remember that. That's wild to me. (laughs) Which means, yeah, do you want to explain why that's so crazy? I mean, because there's literally no way to enforce the loan. All you can do is be like, pay us back. Yeah, you'd have to sue for like a a breach of contract and then just hope that there's cash I was about to say, you if you ever because get a judgment. I guarantee you he doesn't have $500 million sitting there to pay any yeah. judgment you get against him. Yeah. And normally, mm-hmm. I think in a transaction like this, you would make the stock the collateral so that yes. you at least are able to like collect against the stock and maybe other assets too. But like, there's just none. There's no collateral. There's none. Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. FTX also accuses data just being like stupid with money. So which, which makes sense because like there were stupid amounts of money involved here. So apparently he was behind a hackathon that FTX <laughs> held at the Miami Heat Arena. They spent $2.3 million on this. Dad hires his sister to direct that campaign. He paid Naturally. her $14,000 a month to run it. He didn't give her a budget. He was just like, spend whatever it takes. That's in quotes. That's not me like characterizing it. <laughs> spend whatever it takes. <laughs> well, I, in your experience with corporate businesses, how often do you hear spend whatever it takes? <laughs> <laughs> not, any, not any business I've been involved in. Me neither. <laughs> that arena seats more than 19,000 people. Do you want to guess how many showed up for this thing? Oh, it's got to be like 5,000 or something. 1,200 people. <laughs> so that comes out. That comes out to almost $2,000 per attendee that they oh spent on this thing. So it's, it's actually like, a super nice wedding. <laughs> yeah, it's like stupid, stupid money. They also say that dad helped 
cover up a whistleblower complaint. Mm -hmm. And the allegations are a little bit hard to parse because there's so much that's redacted in this part of the complaint. But they say that back in September 2019, dad got an email from an outside attorney threatening to sue FTX, its affiliates, and SBF himself, and claiming that FTX had engaged in cryptocurrency price manipulation through pump and dump schemes, money laundering, and was operating as an unlicensed money transmitter business. And FTX basically says, like, look, even if these specific allegations weren't true, even like a a, a basic investigation would have, quote, laid bare the problems at the FTX group. And according to FTX, dad doesn't investigate, but instead he wants to look into whether the attorney who has contacted them has any sort of disciplinary actions against him with the state bar. And there's a whole redacted section, but basically what I surmise is that there was a settlement of these this lawsuit and these allegations to make it go away without actually investigating or addressing any of the underlying allegations of misconduct. Mm-hmm. So it's just like we have this gigantic pool of money, just like throw some money at it, make exactly. it go away so that we can keep doing what we're doing. Probably my favorite part of all of this is that mom and dad get at least $10 million in cash from mm-hmm. FTX. They also get a 30,000 square foot, a, yes. a real 30,000 yes. square foot a real, property. Real, yeah, like not Trump math, real 30,000. Yeah, not not my house, but like yeah. a real 30,000 <laughs> square foot property for $16 million for just the two of them with an unobstructed ocean view in the Bahamas. All in, it costs more than $18 million to buy the property, I guess, after you're done yeah. with broker's fees and things like that. Those funds came directly out of an FTX account that co-mingled FTX funds with customer funds. And apparently internal documents attempted to obscure the reason for the purchase. So they listed the property as, quote unquote, purchased for employees. Mm -hmm. And technically, dad was an employee. And they didn't stop there. Because if you think about it, I mean, this is a 30,000 square foot house who knows how big the actual property is? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I assume we're talking about like beautiful landscaping exactly. and pools and you've got to clean it and you've got to maintain it. And I mean, you're on the ocean. So who knows what the wear and tear is just from being on the ocean that you have to maintain on the outside of the house. Who knows? And you've got yeah. a couple of Stanford law professors. And I'm sorry, like you don't probably have the monthly cash flow to maintain yes. this kind of property. So FTX alleges that they, mom and dad, asked that landscaping services be billed directly to FTX. (laughs) Less than a month after buying the property, mom told FTX employees to place online orders for like a couch, for vases, for rugs for the house, including a hand-knotted Persian rug that cost more than $2,500 just for that alone. And they build cleaning expenses, utilities. Oh, my God. <laughs> property assessments, maintenance. Oh, my God. And there's no record of mom and dad repaying FTX for any of this. And of like we said, not. how could you? Yeah. You're like a yeah. Stanford law professor. Mm-hmm. And honestly, so this is the part that I liked the most, but it's also the part that really got me. Because the whole thing that's just so disturbing about this is that these are two 
highly educated law professors who have the veneer and respectability of Stanford's name Mm -hmm. that's attached to them that they were probably able to leverage to open all sorts of doors for themselves. They have to have known better. You know, I was literally just sitting here thinking like so many times I think to myself, maybe they didn't know better. They knew better in this case. They had to have known better. All along when we've been talking about this, I mean, when we first, when we first learned about this whole thing, we heard about this whole deal about like SBF's dad being on the phone with him as this thing was uh, like unraveling and Mm -hmm. trying to convince him that he needs to resign. And, you know, you remember like after he resigned and they brought in John Ray and they brought in different legal counsel, SBF was like, well, no, I was wrongfully forced out. It was all a fraud. Mm-hmm. And that never should have happened to me and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of had this internal thought process of, you know, you always wonder like, what are somebody's parents like that their kids are doing this stuff while yeah. also knowing as a parent that your kids are separate beings from yourself. Yeah, Yeah. they're individual people Mm -hmm. and you can't control them and you're not Mm -hmm. responsible for all the decisions that they make. And so I was really struggling with like, you know, how much responsibility is it fair to lay at the feet of his parents? And I have now come to the conclusion that like a whole fucking lot. I was about to say a lot of it. A lot of it. Because there was, I mean, if it wasn't, let's start with, they had to have known better. Like they had to have. If they didn't know better, they should have known better. And if they didn't know better, it was only as the result of like willful ignorance. No, like there's no, I, I reject that contention completely. <laughs> there is no way that these two p- people oh, I agree. in particular mm-hmm. didn't know that like your son's company shouldn't be buying your house. Your son's company shouldn't be mm-hmm. buying your, fur- for your furniture. It shouldn't be paying for your housekeeper. Like that's basic common sense. They had to have known better. They mm-hmm. had to, and they just didn't care. They didn't care. So we're not even done. <laughs> we've talked We've talked about dad. We've talked about mm-hmm. mom and dad. Let's talk about mom. She had her own political action committee called Mind the Gap. Okay. At her request, SBF and his co-founder, Nishad Singh, contributed millions of dollars to Mind the Gap or its pet causes. And what FTX alleges, and I think this is what Nishad actually pled guilty to, although I haven't paid much attention to his case, but she basically orchestrated straw donations to funnel FTX money to mine the gap, but to falsify or otherwise obscure who the actual donors were to avoid legal reporting obligations. Mm -hmm. And they even have emails where in one instance, she emails SBF that they need to start thinking about disclosure issues Quote, now, to make sure we protect SBF and FTX, plays at the state level, especially are going to provoke accusations of carpetbagging. So, like, we need to make sure nobody knows who this money <laughs> she, is coming from. She knew from. exactly what that was, what she was doing. There's a million-dollar donation that SBF made to Mind the Gap. She emailed SBF and co-founder Nishad Singh. And even though this money was coming from SBF, I mean, it was going to come from FTX, yeah. but, like, through SBF. She said, quote, I'm assuming that Nishad would be the better person to have his name on it. We'd have a slight preference for that on our end now that my connection to Sam is publicly known because we don't want to create the impression that funding Mind the Gap is family affair, as opposed to a collective effort by many people, including some mystery guy, Nishad Singh, smiley face. (laughs) It's the emoji that puts it over the top for me. Which is like... (laughs) You don't get to do this no. with 
political donations or even charitable donations yeah. where you're like, well, let's figure out like what's a nice name that we'd like exactly. to put on this. That's not mm-hmm. like the real name. It's just it'll placate anybody who's looking into this. Well, then, I'm sure the subject she teaches wouldn't give her like an overwhelming amount of knowledge on how how important it is to have ethical considerations and right yeah <laughs> or just or just even googling like yeah. hack 101 or political mm-hmm. donations for dummies would probably tell you this <laughs> there's another email where she quote unquote strongly urged SBF to substitute somebody else's name on a donation and the complaint details numerous donations to Mind the Gap or its little pet projects that came directly from SBF and FTX, but were structured to look as if they came from Nishad Singh. And again, these are just allegations. Mm-hmm. Seems like they should be easily provable or disprovable. Must say if there's emails and bank records, it shouldn't be that yeah, hard I mean, to prove or disprove. <laughs> this doesn't seem like hard mm-hmm. stuff to prove. In terms of the factual allegations, mm-hmm. I don't know where it's all going to shake out on legal liability. But I really was just so disgusted with this whole thing because these are the people who um, are kind of like, I guess, on top of the profession, at least as yes. academics are concerned, landing yourself a nice little spot at Stanford. And it's like it reminded me of. You know, those kids birthday parties, and this used to be more common, I think, when we were kids and had Mm -hmm. a birthday party at like the roller rink, but I've seen one at like a bounce house place here where they have that cash tornado machine where you get in it Mm -hmm. and like they drop Mm -hmm. in a bunch of dollar bills and they blow all the air around you, try to grab it. And that's like what this was for them, except it's like instead they got a dump truck and they just filled, they backed it up to an empty swimming pool and just kept dumping in cash. And these, these people were just like frolicking and having a good old time. And they were absolutely in the position to not only knew, know better and do better, but like help FTX and SBF not do all of the like yes. crazy, crazy stuff that they did. So really and disgusting. Not, not even the cash tornado. It's the cash tornado of consumer funds that were yeah. given to FTX. Like people thought they were investing in something. And it, so it wasn't even like FTX money. It was literal consumer money that they were doing this with. Yeah. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's disgusting. It's insane. I, I read the stories about it. I didn't dive in and read the complaint yet. Um, so I had seen like some of the high marks. So I didn't know in some of the stories, I don't think I knew as much about what his mom was doing, but it's just like you said, like these are law professors with Stanford behind their name. Like they had the veneer of, being the cream of the crop of the legal academic profession. And for them to just look at this and be like, Haha, fucking gravy train and write it to yeah. the very end and not ask a single question or not think twice about, gosh, maybe our son's company shouldn't be paying for our landscaping at our 30 million or $18 million house in the Bahamas. Like that never occurred to them, apparently. They, or if it did, they were fine with it and they accepted that risk. Yeah, I it's think insane. I think we can assume yeah. it's the latter, that they yeah. were absolutely fine with it. And mm-hmm. there was just, FTX was so awash in cash. Like who cares where it comes from? Mm-hmm. We've gotten so much cash so quickly. Surely this whole juggernaut's going to keep going. We don't have to worry about 
everything collapsing around us yes. exactly as it did. Yes. Nothing like this has ever collapsed in the past. So why would yeah. this one do yeah. it? <laughs> Nobody running gigantic ass fraud <laughs> schemes has ever just found it, like mm-hmm. just had it completely implode. So it'll be totally fine. We'll be the different ones, just like we yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. That's what I got. Well, that was... I like when we return back to our roots and go back to FTX. It always uh, always warms my heart because we're almost right. We're a month a month away from being a year from the first FTX episode. Oh, that so, reminds me, we kind of buried the news. Oh yes, you that leads us to you can announce our big news. We have hit more than two hundred thousand downloads in less than a year, which is completely astonishing and astounding to me. <laughs> astounding and. Thank you, everybody, for continuing to listen to us. I'm constantly perplexed as to why, but I yeah. do enjoy it. So thank you. <laughs> I know it's it's something, and I thought about it as I was writing our last episode. Uh, you know, it's been a year, almost a year now, um, and I think we're at 43 episodes now. Maybe I think 43 episodes. Um, I was still laughing to myself as I wrote the script, and like imagining how fun it was going to be you know recording that story and telling it and so i know we're still doing things something we enjoy when that's the case even a right. later um it's fun and we i can't think enough everybody that listens to us um and the notes that you send us when you say you are listening like we appreciate it yeah yeah who knew a couple of knuckleheads like us yes. could <laughs> make a podcast that people other than a couple of our friends might listen to <laughs> exactly. our friends and my husband's siblings and my sister listen to it as well. So yeah, my husband listens. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's, a he's our, fan. he's our super fan. He is our super fan. <laughs> he, he listens first thing. Like he may he be does. our first listener on every release. Totally. <laughs> totally. We love it. Shout out. <laughs> yeah. Shout out. So that's, that's it for today. And we'll be back maybe next week. <laughs> yeah. We'll I was about see. to say, we'll see. We got, there's a lot of work in the interim between now and next yeah, week. There's, so. there's a lot going on, but mm-hmm. we will be back with another story about a lawyer doing bad things. I have mentioned for literally like four weeks in a row now <laughs> that I'm working on a story. So we'll see if I get there or if something else catches my attention in the interim, which is always a significant possibility. I have one. I have a story. Like I said, I don't know when it'll be, but I've started. I have the title written and I have all the pleadings and everything saved. So I have my next topic. I just need to I just need to do all the reading and the writing part. So that's all I've got left. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And you can always leave us a review. Links for merch are in the bio. And we appreciate it. Thanks, guys.